This is For Your Reference, a sports reference podcast. Welcome back to For Your Reference, a sports reference podcast. This is where we get to share the interesting stories that have grabbed our attention while working on the Sports Reference family of websites. I'm Charlotte, I'm on the data team at Sports Reference, and today I'm joined by Jay Hutchinson, also on the data team. Hello, happy to be here. Great, thanks so much for joining us. Our topic today is yellow and red cards in the World Cup, and it's great that you're here because you actually have some experience handing out yellow and red cards. Well, not in the World Cup, but uh, <laughs> at, at, at lower levels, sure. Uh, I've been refereeing since 2010. Um, I've got I think, 1,900 or so games under my belt, so I've seen a few things. So this topic was one that I wanted to cover because <laughs> some of my first memories at Sports Reference were uh, summer 2018 when I kind of joined as an intern, and I was in our office in Philadelphia. And of course, we were all super excited about the World Cup, and we were just launching our FBREF soccer site. And so we were watching World Cup games at lunch, and then, you know, also maybe like in the second tab on our computer screen, our background window, and um, I wasn't sure if everyone else was watching. Um, we had kind of a cubicle set up in the office, and I was like peeking around, are other people as distracted as I am? And I have this clear memory of when we had like the first day of games and there was a goal scored in the middle of the day, and we hear from... Uh, Sean Foreman's office behind the door. Woohoo! Like, <laughs> just cheers coming. Do you, does this sound familiar to oh, you? Oh, yeah. Sean, Sean is an exuberant fan, and uh, it wasn't just during the World Cup, but uh, midweek uh, Manchester City Champions League matches. Uh, anytime a goal was scored, uh, you could definitely hear it. Uh, my office is way on the other side of uh, our space from his, and it was he was still very audible. Uh, very exuberant fan. Yeah, so once I heard that, I was like, okay, we're all watching, it's fine. <laughs> we're all a little distracted. Um, and one of the things that always like caught our attention, what we're talking about most, obviously the goals were like, did you see that? That was amazing, but also the cards. And what's crazy is the cards can kind of take center stage and get maybe even more attention than the goals do. If I just think of like things that stand out from World Cups, I'm like, did you see the, the guy that bit another guy? Like, that's crazy. That's what I want to talk about. And I actually, when I first started putting together some notes for this episode, one of the first things I did was look up Luis Suarez, who is the Uruguayan player who um, did bite an opponent at the World Cup uh, in 2014. He actually did not get a card for this. Well, it's hard to see someone biting another person. <laughs> you know, Maybe it's easier these days with VAR, but uh, yeah, back in... Before we had the benefit of video review, you just had to count on uh, the referee to, you know, see one person biting another among a swarm of uh, 20 people. And um, that's uh, not always something that can be done. So, unfortunately, uh, uh, he got away with that. But um, I think he was suspended after the fact, though. Yes, he was later punished, but not during the game. I took a little detour to newspapers.com just to search for... Luis Suarez, you know, set the year to 2014 World Cup to see what I could find. And I noticed that there were eight times as many search results when I had his name in there versus when I had Diego Godin, who is the lone goal scorer. You know, the person who kind of determined the outcome of the game was overshadowed by this 
uh, quite clearly. Certainly, that's not what we love. We don't love to see that in, in the beautiful game, but uh, for better or worse, sometimes uh, other stories. I mean, it's, I guess it's not just in soccer, but in any sport, you know, uh, uh, misconduct by a uh, participant can overshadow the, uh, the, the competition itself, and we don't love to see that, but uh, it's just the nature of the uh, competitive uh, game that we love. Yeah, I found that again and again. Um, maybe we'll get back to Zidane and Matarazzi in the 2006 World Cup, but they had a, an infamous red card situation, and they were actually the two goal scorers in the game, but their two red cards were what everyone was talking about afterwards. And even when I'm looking ahead for the 2022-23 uh, World Cup uh, that we're super excited is coming up, there was like a qualifying game I was reading about between Costa Rica and Canada and all the headlines I was seeing and, and maybe this is because I was seeing Canadian news sources, but all the ones I was seeing were about Mark Anthony Kay getting kicked out of the game and we talked about like the other player involved in the altercation. Um, we do mention that Costa Rica ends up winning 1-0, but who scored that goal for Costa Rica? Who knows? Who, who, who knows? cares? Not even mentioned in the article. Doesn't matter. All we care about is that uh, Mark Anthony K was out of the game. So, um, yeah, we were, you know, wondering about why there's, you know, so many prominent cards in the World Cup. Is it maybe just the higher stakes, you know, the money on the line? Yeah, certainly when there is a uh, an incident with a player doing something outlandish and it happens in the World Cup, it's certainly going to make uh, bigger headlines than if it were to happen in uh, some small competition uh, where we only have uh, one camera angle or something. Um, in the World Cup, we're going to have multiple camera angles with a billion eyes um, on the, uh, these matches. So, so um, one of the things that I noticed is that actually the number of cards have been decreasing recently. I don't think I would have guessed that because they always kind of get so much attention when they do happen. But ever since the number of cards peaked in 2006, we saw fewer cards in 10, fewer in 14, fewer in 18. I, does that surprise you that that's the way the game is going? Well, from my experience, um, there is greater attention being paid to player safety these days. Uh, and speaking from um, having sat through uh, countless hours of referee instruction um, over the last 12 years in my, of my experience they're more specific about drawing the line at certain levels and saying anything at this line needs to be a yellow card anything at this line needs to be a red card and it's non-negotiable whereas in the past um, there was a little bit more game management you might say um, where referees might talk themselves out of uh, uh, worthy um, misconduct decision. I think in the past there was a, a, a lesser expectation um, with respect to penalizing um, hard challenges uh, that may have uh, endangered uh, an opponent's safety. You know, in the past um, there are challenges that are clear red cards today that you know in the 1980s would have been a yellow card or maybe even no foul. Um, as you know, you look back at some of these highlights from Premier League 80s, 90s, and it's a completely different game. And um, 2006 might have been the uh, the peak of that, and when they decided to um, change their philosophy, uh, move it in a different direction. I can only speak since 2010, and definitely in these last 12 years or so, uh, 
there's a greater focus from referees on um, penalizing fouls that uh, could harm others. Sure. Yeah, 2006 was the peak of cards at the World Cup, um, but we have to account for the fact that there weren't red cards when the World Cup started. So the red cards were introduced in 1970, inspired by a referee actually. He had had trouble getting somebody to go off the field in the 1962 World Cup and sort of had this idea that we could introduce the cards to make things simpler. In the years before the red cards and yellow card system, certainly players were uh, getting penalized, getting sent off the field. And um, I had in my notes about a 1954 game between Hungary and Brazil that was named the Battle of Bern. Oh, yeah, that. and that name kind of inspired uh, people to start calling the 2006 uh, infamous World Cup game the Battle of Nuremberg because people saw it as kind of a successor to this yeah. crazy game from the 50s. I'm eager to get your thoughts on the Battle of Nuremberg or the Massacre of Nuremberg because this is kind of one of the things that was most interesting to me uh, a little bit before my time, I don't think I watched the 2006 World Cup, but this was a game that featured four red cards and 16 yellow cards. Yeah, I I don't remember watching this at the time. I would have been 13 years old and uh, just getting into soccer around that time. But um, uh, I went back and watched the highlights of this, and it's, it is pretty striking how, uh, how different a number of these things are because... Um, you know, there are six, yeah, 16 yellow cards here. Uh, I found one that, like, I, I'm not sure why he gave it. I thought that was that one was a little upbeat. The other um, 15 uh, were solid, and I thought there was at least, um, I found at least one or two other instances where there, there should have been more. So, Do you have a final number? If you're the referee, how many cards are issued in this game? Oh, I don't know. I, I noticed in the 74th minute, uh, Petit, who got a very easy yellow card uh, early in the second half, um and standing over uh, a player who was just fouled hard, um, escalating the situation, and some Dutch players come and shove him away. They get yellow cards for, for their role in the escalation, but he didn't get anything. He, I, I mean, for me, that's an easy uh, second caution. But um, So um, you, you might even agree with Sepp Blatter, who uh, was quoted after the game as saying, intervention by the referee was not consistent. Well, it's hard to say. Well, you know... Step bladder, I'll, I'll refer to step bladder as far as the whole game is concerned, because I just went through and looked at the cards. So as far as consistency goes, I don't know if there were things that he let go that you know led to these uh, uh, escalations. Um, this particular instant, you know, this was just one guy who uh, wasn't punished, uh, who, who probably should have been in this uh, this wider um, dispute. Um, but as far as all of the uh, the hard fouls go. Um, I mean, I don't know. There may very well have been a hard foul that wasn't penalized, um, but it looked like all of the all of the fouls that I saw that were penalized um, were were good good calls, and it, they should have been. Um, well, the seventh minute. It, it, this is what I probably should have led with. Um, the seventh minute um, caution from Boularoos is a hundred percent red card um, these days, and I think most fans and players uh, recognize that. Uh, Spiking the inside of your opponent's thigh is, is going to get you sent off in 2022, but in 2006 maybe that's just a yellow card, and um, um, I don't know if that's what led to uh, uh, fiery um, emotions for the rest of the match. Uh, it certainly couldn't have helped. Sure. Yeah, this is kind of one of the few cases where 
the referee as well as the people that got the cards got some attention. Usually they don't make the headlines, but in this case, um, we had Blatter actually come out and say that the referee should have been given a yellow card. I mean, I'm not sure that's a fair assessment because uh, you know, maybe it, it may not may it may be a fair assessment. I don't know. Um, what I would say is that it's hard to imagine uh, any referee going into this match um, uh, in 2006 and uh, not struggling because this was just. Uh, this isn't the kind of game that most, I mean, I think most any referee would have run into similar sure. issues because uh, these are a lot of big personalities on the fields, um, a lot of emotions and high stakes. Portugal and Netherlands are uh, are two top footballing nations. Is there a referee code of conduct that sort of prevents him from coming out and defending himself? Well, I'm sure plenty of referees would love to, uh, and no, no, well... No, there have been referees who, who definitely give interviews after the fact. Uh, and he very, very, very well may have. The referee was Russian, so uh, it's possible he only gave interviews to Russian media. Um, yeah, the, this referee's name was Valentin Ivanov, and he's actually the son of Valentin Ivanov, who was um, a top goal scorer for the USSR at oh, the 1962 uh, FIFA World Cup. Wow. Yeah. And uh, as far as I can tell, he didn't speak up for himself, but his dad actually did and said his son handled himself quite well and that FIFA was the ones who were demanding refs be tough on players and that he was just following instructions. Oh, the critique was that uh, he wasn't, uh, he was giving too many cards because I think if anything, um, there needed to be, you know, more uh, severe. <laughs> um, at least that was my perspective. Uh, I think anyone going back and looking at this from with a modern eye will see that there are plenty of things that uh, certainly would have been d done differently. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. They were making this hardline stance, and Blatter had said um, diving was one of his big concerns before the World Cup, where I, I guess euphemistically simulation when, was another word they used to describe players who uh, maybe pretend to be more injured than they really are. In the same breath, Blatter admitted, you know, I, I might have done that when I was a player, but also we should be really hard on it. Um, so I can imagine how it would be hard to have like different messages coming when you're the referee and, you know, weighing the influence of, you know, all the, all the different things in your ears from the players, coaches, FIFA fans, whatnot. Oh, it's definitely challenging because you get a lot of, uh, different messages from different sources of varying levels of importance and, uh, they often contradict one another and you just got to go out there and do your best. And one thing that's... I find super interesting is the way that different people perceive the things that they're seeing on the field. And so even though we had um, very negative reaction from certain corners and, and, you know, the president of FIFA coming out, that wasn't the case from everyone. The Portugal coach, if we have not been clear, I'm so sorry. This was a game between Portugal and the Netherlands and Portugal does end up winning. And uh, the Portugal coach, he seemed like he was all right with the officiating. I found some quotes from him, and he w he did address some of the incidences. Um, he talked about Figo, uh, otherwise known as the head butter. Mm -hmm, yeah. um, he said he was much more correct than the Dutch players. Um, well, I'm not sure I can agree with that one, because that is one I have in my notes that uh, Figo should have been sent off there. But uh... And uh, he went on to say that for years, Portugal have not had a national team to dignify the name 
But this team has done that with the way they fought tonight. Uh, well, yeah, I'm not sure I can get on board with uh, with his support for because this team, this team was probably the benefactors of um, uh, any um, lenience the referee did grant. Because, like I said, uh, Figo headbutt Petit should have gotten a second yellow. Um, and then, uh, well, and then Van Bronckhorst here at the end. That was the one yellow card that I saw in here that I didn't, I'm not sure why he gave, was the very, very last one to Van Bronckhorst, his second caution. I'm not sure that had much of an impact on the game because that was 95th minute. But, uh, yeah, I can, I can understand why the Portuguese <laughs> coach uh, wouldn't be so upset. I know. I have one more quote from you. I just got to squeeze in. We have uh, Francisco Marcos. He's the USL founder, um, and he wrote about this game for the Tampa Tribune. And he suggested that um, there should be a new line in the Portuguese national anthem to honor the players of this game. <laughs> he said that they are battlers and uh, they weren't a line uh, illuminating, you know, what they the glory they brought to their country. Well, uh, I, I wouldn't call uh, Figo's headbutt glorious, but uh, <laughs> people have their own opinions. And it's one thing that I've also learned about just this year is that there have been some new studies with the uh, games that took place without fans during, you know, the 2020, you know, in 2021 adjusted seasons. Mm -hmm. And that has actually had an impact on cards. Have you heard anything about these studies? I haven't. Um, I can I can kind of understand, uh, you know, the psychology behind it, certainly. Um, I think anyone who puts themselves in the referee's shoes can, can grasp that that would have a... Uh, psychological impact on decision maker. Yeah, there'd been a number of studies in the past that showed um, positive correlation between like crowd size, density, distance from the pitch, like all of that impacted the home team's advantage. I believe it. Yeah, and there were some studies um, in Italy where there were fans were banned from matches for a period of time and they tried to see how that affected um, the calls that were made, but there wasn't really an opportunity to do a study on this scale mm -hmm. until, um, you know, the global pandemic mm -hmm. caused us to change, change up how soccer leagues were run. And so uh, what I was looking at was a study from the University of Salzburg, and they looked at thousands of games and they called them ghost games where there's no fans. And they found that there was um, there, a change that home teams were significantly more likely to get yellow carded um, but there was no change for the away teams. Wow. So that kind of gives you, a, you know, if you read into it, the idea that, all right, maybe they were officiating the away teams fairly. They saw the the fouls and they were always giving those. But there was some resistance to giving home teams fouls and angering fans. And then when the fans are gone, maybe you're like. You know, maybe not resistance so much as, um, you know, they're not pulling out the card until after they've blown the whistle and the fans have started to react. Um, so I guess my hypothesis would be that uh, hearing that, um, I guess, negative feedback from blowing the whistle, uh, you know, may psychologically uh, make the referee, you know, marginally, slightly more likely to keep the card in their pocket. I have a question for you as, as a referee. Is it kind of your nightmare to have to blow the whistle? Like, is I mean, that's what you're there to do, but are you just like, please don't let this be the crazy game with all the whistles? Well, whistles aren't so bad. It's really the cards that uh, that make the game a nightmare. Um, you know, sometimes I have to blow the whistle a lot, and um, 
normally the players get on board, but when I have to pull out a lot of cards, it means that uh, players aren't adjusting, and um, that's when the nightmare really kicks in. And I, another thing that we'll see, we'll see again in this World Cup is VAR, you know, replay footage, and that was introduced in 2018, and I think 2018 went relatively smoothly. There weren't, you know, huge controversies. There were a few. Um, there was the fewest number of cards we've ever seen at a World Cup. What do you expect to see see this year? Will VAR affect? It's uh, it's hard to say. Um, you got to remember in 2018, VAR was brand new back then. Um, there were only a couple leagues in the world that had implemented it at that time, and that really limited also the number of uh, referees that you know had experience working as a VAR and therefore you know could come. Um, so that pool has expanded greatly now that the vast majority, it seems, of uh, professional leagues throughout the world have VAR. With respect to standards, that's a little iffier because um, you know FIFA has their own ideas as to where to draw the line for a red card, where to draw the line um, for what's a clear and obvious red card, which is another thing that the referees have to consider once VAR comes into play. It doesn't It's not just, is this decision right or wrong um there's subjectivity and you need they need to decide it's clear and obvious in order to recommend a review so um, i saw another interesting study this was from university of leuven in belgium mm -hmm. and they said that based on their study slow-mo from var um was increasing the chance of a red card um if you saw the play in slow motion people were more likely to judge it as severe and after studies um, I think maybe just that one, but maybe there was others. FIFA specifically said we're not going to use slow mo to determine severity. Yeah, no. So they use, they'll use slow mo to determine where the point of contact is. So they'll slow it down, and make it the right frame to figure out where is uh, the fouler contacting the fouled person. Is it you know spikes into the thigh, or is it just you know a ankle into an ankle or something? Because um, that's a big that that matters a great deal as to the severity of a foul. But as far as Determining, yeah, the severity and uh, the speed at that point really, really is um, is a it matter. So, um, yeah, it's not that slow mo is completely useless, but it's uh, it's not ideal for some aspects for for judging some aspects of those plays. One other just funny thing that I found in my research was uh, a lot of times penalties are spurred by uh, you know emotions on the field. You feel like somebody played dirty, but uh, it's also often what people are saying that's kind of sending somebody over the edge. And often you don't know, you can't hear what they're saying on the field. But there were a few times cases where the players were asked in interviews and actually admitted to what the words were that set them off. Um, and I, I found a few. There was, um, when it came to Zidane, who we, we had mentioned briefly, had a uh, notable red card mm -hmm. headbutting incident in 2006. Uh, he said that his opponent had called his sister a whore. Mm -hmm. That was yeah, that was what true. sent him off. And I found another one, which was Eric Cantana. This was not a World Cup game, but a very notable uh, red card because he got into it with a fan while he was being escorted off and kicked them. Um, and he said what set him off was his mother being called a French whore. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know if there's a takeaway from this. Um Maybe that's language you should remove from your vocabulary or to avoid cards or, or maybe just get used to it. That's more of a cultural <laughs> question, I think, than a sports question, honestly. Um, you know, my perspective is that uh, 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 
players should respect one another and that uh, that kind of derogatory language has no place in the game. But um, I'm sure there are plenty of people who would disagree with me and would uh, call me all sorts of names for uh, having a different opinion. As we're looking forward to uh, the upcoming World Cup, are you excited to see some yellow and red cards? Would you be okay if there's no red cards in the upcoming World Cup? I'm always interested in uh, close decisions and uh, interesting situations. Um, but I certainly don't want to see anyone uh, sent off for like violent conduct or uh, things like that. Someone gets sent off for denying an obvious goal scoring opportunity. I think that's part of the game. But um, generally, I just want to see uh, fair play and exciting competition. A very diplomatic answer. Um... I don't want to say I'm rooting for yellow and red cards. I'll kind of stick to what I say about all sports events, which is I want to see something I've never seen before. That's always exciting to me. You so um, hopefully we get some of that. Thank you all uh, for listening and joining us for this episode of For Your Reference. If you'd like to get in touch with us, tell us any interesting stories that you found, feel free to email us at podcast at sportsreference.com. Thanks. <laughs>